This week's parsha is parsha's Vayishlach. I want to announce um, the, the next week, number Monday night. There won't be a class. Um, Monday night, we're going to be having a special event here at Mayan, an extraordinary, beautiful, uplifting, uplifting event in honor of powerful evening of Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, which is known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. Uh, please join us over here. We're going to have a string quartet uh, with some really, really, really phenomenal music and uplifting thoughts and ideas. And you're going to leave really, 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 really uplifted. Just make sure not to eat fleshik that day because it's going to be a cheese and wine event. I guess that's already connecting. I guess that's already connecting the 19th of Kislev to Hanukkah. Where in Hanukkah it's a minhag to eat cheese, so we're starting Hanukkah early. So it's going to be really, really elegant, beautiful, inspiring. It's going to have every sensation. How do you like that? Awesome. So come join us next week, Tuesday night, and bring your friends. It's going to be spectacular. Okay. Make sure to make a reservation. Please make sure to make a reservation. It's a little less or a little more at the door because it helps us when we know how many people are coming. So make your reservation online or you can let us know that you're coming some other way. And uh, that'll be really, really good. Again, next week, Tuesday, Monday night, we'd like to have everyone here for a really, really uplifting, powerful, spiritual experience that everyone is going to enjoy immensely. This week's Parsha. Um, I do want to say that as of yet, I didn't get a chance. I was busy today, so as of yet, we didn't have a sponsor. If anybody wants to take the sponsorship of this special shear of Parsha's Vayishlach, it can be yours. Just let me know. And also the CD, uh, you can also sponsor that. We are totally sponsorless. Anybody that wants to do that, that'd be really good. Okay, so you can let me know after the shear, and you can claim the credits retroactively. This week's parsha, Parshas Vayishlach, we have a, the confrontation between Yaakov and Esav. It's very dramatic. But it comes to its like most powerful moment as the two arch enemies, Yaakov and Esav, or Esav who hates his brother Yaakov, wants to tear him to pieces as they come close to each other and then suddenly, unexpectedly, something we were totally not expected. You know, Yaakov is terrified. He splits his family into two. He's praying. Even though he had all of God's promises, he's still scared. That's how frightening the moment was. He thought this would be a holocaust, a bloodbath. Asa was coming against him with 400 men. But lo and behold, when, they, when the moment they meet, they embrace and they kiss. And they cry on each other's shoulders. And then they're so warm to each other, talking and so on and so forth. Yaakov offers Esau this huge gift. Esau declines. Even though he loved money, he declined this massive gift. And then he offers Yaakov that he's going to stay along with him to protect him. First he offers him to walk together with him. And Yaakov says, no, it's better if you go back home. And then he offers his men to protect him. So it was very, very unlike Esau. So what exactly happened over here? What was this what was this amazing story? So we know it's messianic because in the end of days 
Esav has a change of heart and Esav does some kind of a transformation that happens in Esav, a tikkun in Esav. And this is what this moment was. It was a futuristic moment. But let's take a look today. Tonight, today's class, we're not going to be so mystical. We're going to stick more to the simple interpretation and uncover some spectacular truths about the relationship of Yaakov and Esav and the meaning of this kiss. So let's take a look. Rashi tells us on this word, um, right over here. Um, this is in Perek Lamid Gimel, Pasuk Gimel. Okay, chapter 33, verse 3. It says, Yaakov went in front of, him, of, of, of his sons and his family. He ran ahead because he split them up like group after group, but he ran ahead of all of them. He bowed seven times until he approaches his brother. And Esav runs towards him when he embraced him. And Esav fell on his, on his neck. On his, like, as they, as people, two people embracing as they put their heads on each other's necks. And he kissed him. Esav kisses Yaakov. And then they both cry. And they cry. Very interesting. So, um, Rashi, on these words over here, beginning with the words, and he embraced him, and continuing on the word, and he kissed him. So, Rashi says as follows His mercy was aroused. Esav was indeed a real enemy to Yaakov. But because it was so unexpected to him, he didn't expect Yaakov to, so, to show such humility. And Yaakov went running and bowed down before him seven times. So that kind of triggered something in Esav's heart. And for the moment, he was filled with mercy. And that's the reason why Rashi's explaining the embrace. He embraced him because he really felt brotherly towards him. That's Rashi's interpretation on the word Vayechapkeyo, that he, that he embraced. On the next pas, on the next words in the Pasuk, Vayeshakeyo, and he kissed him. So over here, Rashi doesn't continue so simply to say that he was so moved, he had a, a moment of, of, of brotherly love, and he was so moved towards uh, 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 Yaakov, and he kissed him. Rashi is deliberating, he's questioning this. And Rashi has a hint that perhaps over here, the Pasuk is up to something. Rashi has a clue that the verse might be, we have to dig deeper into, we can't read it for what it is, we have to look a little deeper. Because on the word, Vayishakehu, if you look in the Chumash, you will see that on the word, Vayishakehu, Vayishakehu has one, two, three, four, five, six letters each one of the letters have a dot on the on, on, on the letter. So there are six dots, extra dots, on the word Vayishakeyu. It's a Nakuda. So Rashi says, we know the rule that what? That dots, whenever a word is dotted, the dots come to alert you that there is something about this word that should be understood differently than when it is stated. Usually in most instances, as we're going to see soon, 
Whenever a word is dotted, it comes to minimize the meaning of the word. It's almost as if it's saying the word is halfway here. It's here, but it's not here. Don't take this word so strongly, take this word very lightly. That's what the dots do. They weaken the word. So here it says, Vayishakeyu, and he kissed him. So Rashi says, Nakud Olav, the, the words are dotted. And Rashi says there's an argument about it. So now that creates, that creates an argument about the matter. In the Braisa, which is a form of Mishnah, of the Sifri, Sifri is a, right, a Pirush on um, Sefer Shamos, not on Barashas. But over there, there is a, or on other, other, um, uh, other um, Sifris on other uh, parts of, of Chumash. So in the Braisa that is in Sifri, there is an argument about the meaning of the meaning of this word, Vayishakeyu, when he kissed him. The, those who read the word meaning he, that he didn't kiss him with his whole heart. And this is connected to the dots. What do the dots do? What did we say earlier? What, do, what does a dotted word do? It minimizes the impact of the word. And he kissed him. Ah, he kissed him. That means it was a little kiss. What does that mean? It was an insincere kiss. Okay? It was an insincere kiss. That's Rashi's first explanation. What's the other explanation? Ahmed Abshimim Bayachai. Abshimim Bayachai says differently. Halachahi, it is a halacha. What does a halacha mean? It is a rule. It is a rule. Like we always know we have to follow the halacha. Halacha means an absolute rule. It is a, 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 a rule. What's the rule? It is known that Esav has hatred to his brother Yaakov. Shimon Bayachai is actually doing a flip on his own words. He's, he's, he's saying two opposite things. He says, number one, you should know it's an absolute rule that Esav hates his brother Yaakov. There's, there is a... A, a immutable or a or a or a a a a, a, a uh, an absolute hate that Esav has to Yaakov. Therefore, he shouldn't have kissed him. But guess what? In this instance, his mercy was aroused so much he kissed him at that moment. at that moment, with his whole heart. So here again. What do we have over here? Rashi tells us. So what do we have over here? Rashi tells us two opinions about the kiss. According to the first opinion, the kiss was insincere. According to the second opinion, it was a full brotherly loving kiss with all of his heart. That's what Rashi says. Even though, don't mistake, it's Esau. Esau hates, hates Yaakov. But right now, he, he was very moved. It was a very powerful, emotionally brotherly moment of two siblings. And he really loved him and he really kissed him. Okay. Now it's interesting. We have to pay attention to Rashi carefully. When we pay attention to Rashi carefully, we get to really appreciate what's going on. So we see that when it comes to the embrace, there's two Rashis. I, I told you right in the beginning, there's two Rashis over here. 
First Rashi, when it comes to the embrace, Rashi doesn't bring two opinions. Rashi says he embraced him. Why did he embrace him? Because at that moment he felt very emotional towards him because he saw him bowing down all the seven bows and all the seven times and he embraced him. So Rashi is not questioning the sincerity of the embrace. In the second Rashi, when it comes to the kiss, Rashi brings two opinions. One opinion minimizes the kiss and says it was insincere. Second opinion says it was a full-fledged kiss. So the question over here becomes, if in the second Rashi by the kiss, Rashi feels that there needs to be two opinions, he's not satisfied to say that the kiss was with his full heart, how come by the embrace Rashi, and therefore Rashi has to tell you the opinion that it was less of a sincere kiss, how come when it comes to the embrace, Rashi is perfectly fine without, without bringing any challenging opinion to say that he really, he really embraced him? So how come the embrace is understood as a full-fledged embrace, but by the kiss there is a question? Rashi should have explained the embrace also, according to the one that explains that the kiss was not a full-fledged kiss, so the embrace was maybe also not a full-fledged embrace. It doesn't say anything. Okay, let's now analyze the second Rashi, the Rashi speaking about the kiss. Why does Rashi Bechlau have to give you two interpretations about this kiss? To one opinion, it was sincere. According to the other opinion, who cares about opinions? We don't want opinions. We want to learn Rashi. We want to learn Chumash. We want to know what happened. Pick whichever one you like better and tell us that one. Rashi doesn't bring the machlokas and every and every and every and everything. Rashi is trying to explain to a simple student the simple, most simplistic interpretation of the verse. If you like it better that he kissed him with all his heart, then bring Rishon and Bayachayis Pirish. If you like it better that he that he didn't kiss him so much, so, so, so sincerely. Bring that. What's the, what's the two opinions? Now, the truth is, the way most every ordinary student would learn this Rashi, we would immediately say that why Rashi is coming to explain this whole situation over here is because Rashi was immediately caught by those dots. What really set off Rashi's alarm that he felt he has to give a pirish over here because he felt that when, you learn, when, you're gonna, when I, you and I are learning, we're going to suddenly find a bunch of dots extra dots in the Chumash, and Rashi has to tell you what those dots mean. So the first interpretation says, ah, you know what those dots are? Those dots minimize the kiss. They say the kiss was insincere, because that's what dots always do. Remember I told you? What dots always do is, they make the word be less of a word. It's like, betw- like one of the Mepharshim say, it's like between written and non-written. And therefore Rashi explains, that's what the kiss is. The kiss was between a kiss and a non-kiss. It wasn't a sincere kiss. It was a superficial kiss. It wasn't real. Fine. If that's the case, why does, why does Rashi bring the second interpretation? In which the second interpretation says that it was a real kiss. It was a real kiss. And according to that interpretation, why are there dots? What's the whole point of the dots over here? Usually what do the dots do? The dots minimize something, but the dot is not minimizing anything. It was a regular kiss. And the Pasuk says it was a kiss. To make the question worse, whenever Rashi, this is an important rule, whenever Rashi brings two interpretations, whenever Rashi brings two interpretations on a Pasuk, the one that he usually prefers is the one that he states first. That's the one that is more acceptable. But for whatever reason, he has some kind of a problem, so he also has to bring a second Pirush, which is less acceptable, but still being that it answers one question, he brings the second period. It might be that, right? But there is an exception to that rule. 
Whenever Rashi makes an introduction before he brings an explanation, and his introduction is, and Rashi introduces his explanation by saying, there are two interpretations, why does Rashi have to say that? You're going to read it, you're going to see there are two interpretations. Why does he have to say there are two interpretations? So the rule is like this. Whenever Rashi gives you a, an introduction, saying that on this verse, or on these words, there are two interpretations, is because Rashi wants you to realize that he doesn't prefer one over the other. There are two. And both of them are equally valid. The reason why he put one before the other is because Rashi is not Superman. He can't put two at the same time. He's not writing it. I mean, Superman can't either do it. But I'm, I'm saying that Rashi has to... He can only write one and then write the other. He can't write uh, both of them together. Because then you, even if he scribbles them both together, you're not going to understand any of them. They're going to be one big mush. So he has to pick an order. So he puts this one before the other. But not because there's any preference on the first one over the second now, which, how does Rashi bring the two interpretations on the kiss? What are the two interpretations? One of them is that it was a sincere kiss. The other one that was not a sincere kiss. Rashi brings them by first saying that there was an argument about it. Rashi emphasizes that there are dots. <laughs> Notice there are dots. But then Rashi says, you should know that there are two interpretations on this. Uh, on this and that, uh, and let me tell you what the two are. So Rashi's clearly conveying to us that both Pirushim are equally valid. But here we have a simple problem. How can you say both of them are equally valid? The first Pirush in Rashi explains why the dots. The first Pirush in Rashi explains the significance of the dots. That the dots shrink the word. The kiss was an insincere kiss. But the second interpretation of Rashi doesn't in any way diminish that Rashi brings from Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, doesn't in any way diminish the word. So we remain with the question, what are the dots doing there? Even without the dots, the kiss, how, if there's no dots there and we see he kissed them, we would say, what kind of kiss was it? It was a, it was a regular kiss. The dots come to, come to tell you something about it. But here, we know that, so there are some of Hashim that want to say, the Sefer Hazikaron, some commentators on Rashi, the Marsha and the others, say as follows, that since it says, since Reb Shimon Bar Yochai makes an introduction, halacha hu, it is a halacha, that Esav hates Yaakov, it is a rule, it is a law, it is an absolute law, that Esav hates Yaakov. So then, when, when we're looking at this verse, even without the dots, when we, when there wouldn't be any dots here. And we would look at the words and we see Esav kisses him, our first understanding needs to be, the premise is that he didn't kiss him with his full heart. Esav is up to something. He didn't kiss him with his full heart. Why? Because he's Esav and he hates Yaakov and every child knows that, that Esav hates Yaakov. So the first premise is that he didn't kiss him with his full heart. Now comes the dots. And why do the dots come to say? The dots come to change the ordinary meaning of how we would understand it. We would understand it that it was a, we would understand it that it was a weak kiss. Comes the dots, and the dots strengthen it, change the word to tell you, no, this was a really sincere, true kiss, because at this moment, Esau really felt for his brother. So now we can understand the second interpretation also considers the dots. But the second interpretation is saying 
Well, you have to first look at how would you read the Pasuk without the dots? Without the dots, you would also know that the kiss was not real. Why? You would assume it wasn't real. Because it's Esau. And Esau hates his brother Yaakov. It's a rule. It's a law. Halacha. It's an absolute. You can't move this around. This is the way it is. So it wasn't a sincere kiss. Ah, so now the Torah adds a bunch of dots. And what do the dots do? They take it, they tell you, nah, 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 nah. Here we emphasize, here it was a real kiss. The problem, however, with this is, this goes against the general accepted understanding across the entire Torah. The dots always minimize a word, not not emphasize a word. According to this interpretation, what do the dots do to the word Vayeshokeu? What do the dots do to the word that he kissed him? It's highlighting it. It's making it bold. He really kissed him. That's the opposite of what dots do. It is not the only word in the Torah that's dotted. There are various different places in the Torah that the word is, that words are dotted. And it always means a minimization a minimizing of the word, a weakening of the word. And this would be an exception. So therefore, it's unlikely to say that this is really what it is. Okay. In addition to that, let me pose to you another few questions. So again, let me just remind you, because we're going be, to be analyzing a couple of questions over here, but then we're going to come out with the really, really beautiful explanation that is really, really, really important. Again, and let me just emphasize, so you, don't lose, you don't lose the thought, you don't lose your train of thought. Question number one was, how come on the embrace, Rashi did not give us any two interpretations? By the embrace, Rashi seems to be going very clearly with the assumption that the embrace was very real. When it comes to the kiss, however, Rashi has to give you two interpretations. Number one, why does he even need two interpretations? Secondly, over here, Rashi questions the, two inter- the, 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 the kiss, and he gives one, one interpretation is that the kiss was not real, and the other interpretation that it was real and again, and from the words of Rashi, it seems that like both of them are equal. And my question to you was, what would be the significance of the dots in the second interpretation? If it was a real kiss, why do you need the dots? And we can't answer, as I just told you now, that what? That the dots come to say that it was, that it was a real, real kiss, because that's the opposite of what dots do always in the Chumash. Dots always minimize. Okay, so now that we did a little review on that, let's continue. This argument that Rashi brings from the two about, about whether he kissed him with his full heart or not, Rashi gives us a very important information about that. Rashi says, there is an argument about this. But Rashi gives you an address where this argument takes place, where the sages argue about this. It's an abraisa of Sifri. As I told you, a Sifri is, is, is a halachic kind of a, it's a form of a Mishnah on the Chumash. That's Sifri. And it's a Brisa. Now really, the argument that we're talking about over here, the two opinions, whether this was a real kiss or this was not such a real kiss, a sincere kiss or not, is to be found in other places as well. Not only in Brisa of Sifri. Number one, the closest place it's found, is on the Medrish Rabbah, right over here. The Medrish Rabbah over here, in Pashas Vayishlach, discusses the kiss. Also brings the two opinions, whether it was a sincere kiss or whether it was not a sincere kiss. So if Rashi wants to plug from somewhere, from pull from somewhere... Rashi could have pulled the Medrash. Why does Rashi have to go on to a Safri? And again, Rashi emphasized it's Tafka the Safri, implying that he doesn't want to use the Medrash. And there's another place. You, know, you all heard of Ethics of the Fathers, uh, Avais, Mesechtis Avais. Now there is a, 
there is a, what do you call it a um, an addendum well, what is when you have in the back of a book what an addendum okay that's what an addendum or an addendum D okay so there is an addendum to 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 others it's called others the Reb Nassim. And Avis the Reb Nassim is a, it's like an expanded version of Pirkei Avos, with much, much more. So in that, which is, but it's also from the sages of the Mishnah. So in that, in Avis the Reb Nassim also brings the argument, it talks about all the places in the Torah where there are dots. And it explains them what the significance of the dots are. And it discusses this, and it brings us an argument. Same argument, yes, a real kiss or not a real kiss. Rashi seems to be very strongly adamant that no, we're going to look in the Safri for this, not anywhere else. So we need to understand why. Now let me just quote to you those two places. So you can see the other two places that, are, that this argument is mentioned, mentions it, but slightly different. In, in, um, in the Medrash, it brings the first opinion, not in the name of Reb Shimon and Yochai, Rashi brings the name of Reb Shimon Yochai, but in the name of his son, Reb Lazar Ber Reb Shimon. He's the son of Reb Shimon Ba Yochai. So he brings in the name of who says that in this case he kissed him with his full heart. Just like his father. Reb Shimon Ba Yochai says, according to Rashi, kissed him with his whole heart. Reb Lazar Reb Shimon also says he kissed him with the full heart. Second opinion is Reb Yanai. And Reb Yanai says, if that's the case, why does it have to be dots? The word says he kissed him. The dots come to minimize. So Reb Yanai says something, Reb Yanai takes it to an extreme, and you might be familiar with this. Rabbi Yanai says he didn't even kiss him. He wanted to bite him. Now, see, you, you, you might remember that and you're wondering why I didn't quote it. Rashi doesn't say that. It's a medrash. The medrash says that he wanted to bite him literally in his throat and kill him. That's what he wanted. Esau had a very big mouth and very sharp teeth. You can imagine. And he just wanted to literally grab him in his throat and bite him, and, and, and bite him to death. And a miracle happened that Yaakov's throat and neck became as hard like marble. And Esau... Because he didn't realize that and he chumped down with all of his might, he broke his teeth. So what happened now was, Yaakov was in pain and Esau was in pain. Yaakov was crying because his, his neck hurt. He had a stiff neck. It was marble. And Esau was crying because he just now hurt his teeth. All of his teeth. He was in a lot of pain. And that's why there was a cry. That's what Rabbi Yanai says. Okay, but the general idea that whether the kiss was real or not, maybe it wasn't even a kiss, it was a bite. It was meant to be harmed. You got that argument in the Midrash. Rashi doesn't want to bring the Midrash. In, in, in Avis the Reb Nassin, he says a little different. Sim, very similar to us. Oh, so the Midrash, I can, I can say. The Midrash, we can say the reason why Rashi doesn't want to bring the Pirish of Rabbi Anai, the Midrash, because that would be taking it completely out of context. To say Vayishakeyu, that he didn't even kiss him, he bit him, and by the way, some say what the dots do, according to Rabbi Yanai, is they change the letter from, the, from a kuf to a chaf. Now a kuf, the word vayishakehu with a kuf means he kissed him. Neshika is with a kuf. But you change it to a chaf, means neshicha. Neshicha means a bite. So what the, what, what the dots do, it actually changes the word from, from meaning with a kuf, which means a bite, from meaning a kiss, and it turns it. That's, but we can understand why Rashi doesn't want to go so far, because Rashi tries to stick to as much as he can to the simple meaning, and this is really kind of taking the Pasuk out of whack. 
a little bit, right? It's a little extreme. Rashi doesn't want to go so far. But Rashi could have brought Avis to Reb Nassim. And Avis to Reb Nassim, it says as follows. Uh, oh. It's all dotted. He didn't kiss him with his full heart. It was an insincere kiss. That's like the first interpretation of Rashi. Reb Shimon ben Alazar Oymer, Reb Shimon ben Alazar says, Neshikazu shall emes, this kiss was true. Vekulan eina shall emes, the others were not true, but this was true. This kiss was true. You know what's so good about Avestor Reb Nassim? He leaves out all the drama, and he's very, very sharp to the point. One opinion it wasn't a true kiss, and the other opinion it was a true kiss. Rashi is not into drama. Rashi doesn't want to give you the most dramatic experience in the Chumash. Rashi is giving you simple interpretation. If you want to cut right to the chase, if you want to get right to it, you have a word over here. You want to know what's the meaning of the word? Kissed him with the whole heart. No, didn't kiss him with his whole heart. You got the Medrash, you got the Mishnah of Esther Reb Nassim, and you're good. Much better. And here you have to say, Halacha that Esau hates. First of all, that whole thing is not, not necessary. Halacha that Esau hates Yaakov. And if you want to say it's because it was, it's a one-time thing, he kissed them now. That's what he wants to say. He kissed them now with his full heart. For that it would have been enough as he says, at that time he kissed them. We all know that Esau hates him. There's so much extra in this, in this Peterish that Rashi is bringing. Okay. So possibly we could answer, and there are those who want to answer. What we're going to do now is like this. Again, we're going to, try to fix the problem which is based on the idea that whenever you find a word in the Torah that is dotted, the word comes to minimize. According to that, we don't understand if Esau did kiss Yaakov with his full heart, what is the minimization? What are you minimizing? And then we can say, so we can say as follows, and this will also explain why the Pasuk, why Rashi has to bring the introduction of Reb Shimon Yochai. First of all, why does he have to bring us Reb Shimon Yochai's name? Who is the one who said it? It will also explain why Rashi is bringing Dafka from Ovis to Reb Nassim and not from the other places. It will also explain why it says Halacha, Esav son of why it's, in, it's a Halacha. Why does Rashi have to say that? And we'll explain how, how do you fit the Pirush that he kissed him with all his heart, how do you fit it with the dots? And the idea is as follows. According to both interpretations, we are minimizing the word. Everybody agrees. Whenever there is a word that's dotted, the dots minimize the word. The question over here is, what are you minim? Rather, sorry, the dots come to minimize. The argument over here and the two opinions, both opinions are, is what are you minimizing? According to the first opinion, you're minimizing the word. According to the second opinion, opinion, we're going to see in a moment, you're minimizing the general context of the story. And let me explain. According to the first interpretation, it's simple. By Yishakeyu, he kissed him. Rashi says, the first interpretation, there's dots. What does the dots do? It lessens the word. It was an insincere kiss. Okay, very good. But now... Um, Rashi, but now, but here's but here's the thing. Amar Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai says, 
It is a halacha, it is an absolute rule that Esav, that Esav hates his brother Yaakov. If Esav hates his brother Yaakov, okay, then if the Torah says that he kissed him, what kind of kiss did he give him? What kind of kiss did, what, what's an Esav kiss? An Esav kiss is not a real kiss, it's a very weak kiss. So now, and that's how you would learn. Comes the dots on the word Vayishakeyu and minimizes your interpretation of what, this, what would happen over here. That Esau, you're, we're thinking that because he hates him, he doesn't like him, he's, if he's kissing him, he's giving him a very minimal kiss. Comes the, Vayish, comes the dots on the words Vayishakeyu and minimizes the content and says... No, you're minimizing the kiss of an enemy. It's not such an enemy kiss because in this instance, right now, he wasn't such an enemy because he loved him. Because he felt compassion on him. And he kissed him with all his heart. So what we're doing right now, it's slightly different than what we did earlier, but it changes the whole, the whole thing. Earlier we said that the dots come to emphasize that it was a strong kiss. The dots take the word Vayishakeyu and make it strong. That doesn't work because dots always minimize a word. Dots don't emphasize. What we're saying now, it is minimizing, but it's not minimizing the word, it's minimizing the general narration. You're reading a story about Esau kissing, so what kind of kiss is this? This is a kiss of an enemy, and if it's a kiss, if you're going to have to say it kiss, it was barely a kiss, so comes Reb Shimon Bayachai and reduces the enemy of it. He reduces the, this, this intense hatred that's here that, 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 would, that would tell you that the kiss was not a, not, 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 not a strong kiss but a weak kiss. He minimizes that sense of the story and brings you back to what? And says, no, in this instance there was a real kiss. Now what are you gaining by, by adding the second pirush? We'll understand why Rashi needed to even say it. What, what are you gaining? You see, if you're looking at the word Vayishakeyu and you're looking at the dots on the word Vayishakeyu, if we're saying that the word Vayishakeyu is only coming to minimize the kiss, then the dots should have only been on the words Vayishak and he kissed. The dots are on the whole word Vayishakeyu and he kissed him. If we're saying that all it's trying to say is that it was a weak kiss, it's minimizing the kiss, then the dot should have been only on the word that he kissed. You're not minimizing he kissed him. You're, minim- you're minimizing the kiss. The kiss was not such a strong kiss. But according to second, Rashi's second interpretation, that what are you minimizing? You're not looking at the story as just a kiss, just as the word. You're looking at the general context that this is a... Kiss of an enemy. This is a kiss of Asa. And you're, you're reducing that idea so you can understand why you put the dots on the whole word, even on the who. You're saying that he kissed him, an enemy kissing his enemy. You're reducing that and saying it wasn't a kiss of an enemy, it was less of an enemy. Even though we would have understood this to be a kiss of an enemy, he was less of an enemy. But for a moment, he lost his hatred. He lost his venom. For a moment he was pure, for a moment he was clean from all hatred and from all venom and he kissed him in truth. This will also explain why we are quoting not from Ovis the Rebbe Nassim, 
and we're quoting from the Safri, because the whole idea over here is, in, in Ovest Reb Nassim, it only says that it was a kiss of truth. It was a true kiss. The, whole, the only reason why the dots work, according to this, the only reason why the dots work is because the dots are minimizing something. What are the dots minimizing? They're minimizing the context. So you have to first blow up, what do you have to blow up? You have to first blow up the context. And what's the context? That Esau hates Yaakov. Once you know that Esau hates Yaakov, and therefore you shouldn't, you, the, the kiss is problematic, and if anything, the kiss should be tiny and small, a very weak kiss, oh, we're minimizing that, that whole reality of that hatred for a moment, and he doesn't hate him so much. That's why we, Rashi will dafka pick the version of the Brisa, of the Sifri, because in the Sifri it emphasizes, Halacha Esav, Soinele Yaakov, that Esav hates Yaakov. Emphasizing the idea that there is a big hatred going on over here, and yet, you know what the dots are here? It shrinks the general context that over here it wasn't an enemy kiss, even though it was an enemy kiss, it should not be the way you would understand an enemy kiss. Reduce that to being actually a sincere kiss. And this will also, also explain to us why we mention Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. Rashi says it in the name Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. Because this idea, according to the second interpretation, what are we minimizing? We're not minimizing the word, we're minimizing the context, the general context. That's Reb Shimon Ba Yochai's style. Because Reb Shimon Ba Yochai, whenever he learns Chumash, the Gemara says about Reb Shimon Ba Yochai, is that he always expounded on the reason of the Pasuk. When he read something, he didn't read something, just the, the literal meaning, he always went into the more reasons behind so in our case, Rabbi Shimon Yechai is looking not just at the event, he's looking at the psycho- psychology behind the event. Here you have Esav, Esav who hates Yaakov. And we're reducing the general context, we're not just reducing the word. That's why he brings Rabbi Shimon Yechai. This might have been a nice explanation, but it does not, it does not work. And the reason is, and then I'm going to get to the real answer, and the real answer is really Gishmak. It's really, really amazing. And, 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 and I'll tell you why this doesn't work. Because we don't find anywhere else in the Torah, anywhere else in the Torah, that dots on a word minimize the context of, this, of the entire paragraph. We always find that whenever there are dots on a word, it's minimizing the word itself. So therefore, the second pirush, again, that we're learning over here, that the minimalization is on the context and not on the word, doesn't fly, doesn't work. And therefore, we have to find some other explanation. So listen to this brilliance from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Unbelievable. He says like this. He says, Rashi is not into explaining dots. That whole premise is wrong. When you're learning Chumash over here and you find funny dots on the word, you can go ask the Alshech HaKadosh, you can go ask the Orachayim HaKadosh, you can go ask the Kliyakar, you can ask the Arizal if you want a Kabbalistic interpretation. Don't bother Rashi with that. Rashi is busy, he has work to do, and his Indian is not to explain dots. He doesn't do that. He explains Chumash, and like you have proof to that, 
There are times in the Chumash when there are dots on letters and Rashi doesn't say anything. As I told you earlier, dots are found in many, many places across the Torah. It's not the only place where we find dots. It's not Rashi's, because in learning it, just like Rashi doesn't explain why sometimes words are, 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 uh, are stated or, or written in a very full way, and sometimes words are written missing letters, like, like yuds and vavs, vowels, some words are spelled out with extra vowels, and some words the, letter, the vowels are swallowed. And Rashi doesn't give you an interpretation of, the, of that. It's called chasir and yatir. Extra letters and less letters. Rashi definitely doesn't have to. If Rashi doesn't have to explain extra letters, he definitely doesn't have to explain dots on top of the letters. The only time Rashi, but we do see that Rashi does explain dots. So here's the thing. The only time Rashi explains a dot is because Rashi's bothered by some question, not the dots. Something in the Pasuk is perturbing him. Something is bothering him in the general learning. And in order to answer that, he finds an answer related to the dot. If the dot can help clarify, and the general rule of a dot is that the dot minimizes, so when we can explain the the question that Rashi is bothered with, gets answered by by through analyzing the word, but not just the word, but the word with the dot, then Rashi will speak about the dot. But in and of its own, the dots don't bother Rashi. Okay? So we have to find a fundamental question over here that was bothering Rashi and he came to explain. And the answer is very simple. What was really, really upsetting, not upsetting, but was really challenging to Rashi when he was writing this is a simple question. And this is a question that everybody's got to ask. Asav is coming with 400 men. Everybody knows this song, right? I don't know if you know. If you don't know it, it's a good song. One of my favorite songs from when I was six years old. From 613 Torah Avenue. Asav was coming with 400 men. Yaakov Davin to Hashem. That was the line. In any case, Asav is coming with 400 men. He's, he's, he's full of wrath, anger. He's, he sees. He's coming with a huge army to kill his brother. And suddenly, poof. Out of nowhere, his heart melts. The two get together. He embraces him. He hugs him. That is crazy. And so on, reading the Chumash, that needs explanation. How did that happen? What happened? That's what bothered Rashi in the Pasuk. What just happened? doesn't say that anything... I mean, he sent them the gift, but it, uh, fine. But, but what really made such a change in Esau's heart? So therefore Rashi explains immediately when he gets to the, the beginning of the story, when Esau runs towards him and he hugs him and he embraces him. Rashi explains that what? Something got to Esau. Something that Yaakov did got to Esau. And Rashi says, you know what? This that Yaakov went in front of him and bowed down seven times, that extreme humility softened Esau's heart. And at that moment, he suddenly was filled with emotions, so he embraced him. And there's no argument on that. Everybody agrees that there was an, a real, sincere embrace. There's no question in the embrace. He embraced him because at that moment, Yaakov brought about a change of heart through the bowing that he bowed down to him. He melted his heart. The anger evaporated. Sometimes, you know, a person is very angry, but when you see, you show to someone a whole different kind of a face and a whole different approach, 
Yeah, that is, I'm sure everybody had a story when someone was really angry at them and you just figured out a way how to like make that move into the person's thing that suddenly the anger dissipated and you were able to... It's an art to be able to do that and we should all be blessed to be able to defuse anger. Okay? And it's what happened. That's nice. That's very good as long as it comes to the embrace. But now we get to the next part, the kiss. Well, you should care you when he kissed him. Here it's a problem already. Why? Because it's one thing to give a little hug. A kiss represents much deeper emotion. If you're kissing someone, it's showing you're ready on all love. And even any, any you know, when, when, when you're moved to kiss someone, it's because the, the love is intense. And you have to like just blurt the love out. And you're like expressing it with an intense kiss. A kiss is far more intense than an embrace. So to say that Yaakov's bowing diffused the anger, melted the anger, and Esau suddenly felt something to his brother. He didn't see him for 20 years. He feels something to his brother. He hugs him. A mere hug! I can't, Rashi says, I can go with that. But a kiss is, is, a little, is a lot. Coming from Esau, who five minutes ago wants to wring his brother's neck. How does it come to, to a kiss? So on that Rashi says, I don't have an answer, but I have a clue. What's my clue? The word, and he kissed him, has got a bunch of dots on it. Let's try to figure out what those dots mean. Oh, we know what dots mean. That Rashi knows, and we all know. Dots always minimize a word. So you know what Rashi says? That's for sure. The dot minimizes the kiss. The kiss is not so intense. We're minimizing the kiss. And according to both interpretations, as we're going to see in a moment, here's the brilliance of this explanation. According to both explanations, we're not just minimizing the context, we're minimizing the kiss. This kiss was not such a ginormous kiss. It was a smaller kiss. And that will help us achieve how Esau can kiss Yaakov because it was a smaller kiss. But here there's an argument in how that kiss was smaller. The first opinion that Rashi, and Rashi says, Rashi says it can go either way. I'm gonna, we'll see why it can go either way. I'll give you two explanations as an argument on it. And I'll give you two explanations of how, of how the kiss is minimized. According to the first interpretation Rashi brings, it wasn't such a big kiss. He kissed him insincerely. The kiss was not much more than the hug. The hug was a hug, okay? And the kiss was, uh, it wasn't like a deep, emotional, true, sincere outburst of a kiss. Oh, that makes it easier to digest. Okay, Esau, after all, Yaakov diffused him, he kissed him. The second interpretation that Rashi brings, according to Reb Shimon Bayechai, that says he kissed him with his whole heart. It, so that's a big kiss. No, it is a big kiss, but it's still minimizing the word. Because it's not a true kiss. You know why it's not a true kiss? Because it was only at that moment. At that moment, there was a real, real kiss. He kissed him at that moment out of tremendous feeling towards him. So it was a powerful, powerful, powerful kiss at that moment. But the reason why the word is dotted on the word, is that it was not, it was not a real kiss because it's not like Esau's heart changed and he became Yaakov's best friend. He's still an enemy 
of Yaakov and he hates him and he hates his guts and he wants to kill him. But temporarily, his heart flipped. At that moment. So that's why the kiss is smaller because it's not true. Something of truth is permanent. And this was not permanent. Or why, even if it's not permanent, but it should last for a while, this was very, very short-lived. But it was a real, real kiss. According to Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, it was a real kiss. Now, so now, but, um, what's the, why do I need, oh, but, 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 to, but to appreciate this idea that, that he's giving him a real, that he's, he's kissing him at this moment, Truthfully, but it's but it was only at that moment that it's not a real kiss, and that's why it was to emphasize the idea that even though it was a real kiss, it's not considered. It's still minimized. Rashi brings what Rav Shimon Bar Yochai says that what halacha he she'esav Yaakov. It's a halacha that Esav hates Yaakov. What's this emphasis? It's a halacha. Isn't that weird to say halacha? What's a halacha? Halacha means a law that you have to do. That's a halacha. We have certain halachas. Does Esav have to hate? Is it, ha- is it a shulchan arach that when an Esav comes in or one of the descendants of Esav's in, we say, you, you hate a Jew, you don't hate a Jew. Go f- fulfill the halacha. You have to hate a Jew. That's ridiculous. Is it an obligation on the descendants of Esav to hate Jews? That's ridiculous. So why are we using the term halacha? The emphasis of the word halacha is coming to say as follows. That just like a halacha is something that is not changeable, it's non-negotiable. A halacha is a halacha and that's the way it is absolutely and it can never change. That's the rule. That's, that's the significance of halacha. It's more than any other kind of a law. It's a law of God and that's the way it is. You can't change it. That's how strong Esau's hatred to Yaakov is. It's a halacha and it cannot change. Irreversible. It is a hatred that's irreversible. And that's the emphasis that it is a halacha. But, just like in the world of halacha, we know that there could be a halacha that's never changing and it's forever and ever, yet it could be suspended for a little while. Hear this brilliant idea. Halacha, even halacha, that is forever and ever and irreversible and will never change. Yet we know the rule by halacha that what? That there is possible that a halacha is suspended for, a, for, a, for whatever, for a purpose. Where do we have that? I'll give you an example. Elio Anavi, there is a prohibition against bringing sacrifices anywhere but in the holy temple. And once the temple was built, you're now allowed to bring on a private altar, on a private mezbeach, you bring, can't bring a karma. And what did Elio Anavi do? He brought an, a karma on a private altar. How did Elio Anavi do it? The Allah is what's called Hayra'asha. When a Navi tells you that for whatever reason God has instructed that a halacha should be broken, but it's only a one-time thing. It's not a change. It's not like we're changing a halacha. If a, a Navi comes and he comes and he says we should change a halacha, then that Navi is, uh, is considered a, a false prophet. 
But when a Navi doesn't change halacha, when a Halnavi is coming and saying the halacha remains a halacha, but there is just a moment for now, it was needed to prove to the Jewish people the, 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 that, the, uh, that the truth of the Abishter and against the Nevi'e Habal, and for that reason, we had to build him as Be'ach, so they suspended the halacha for that point, for just for that time being. In the same exact way is the halacha of Esau hating Yaakov. Esau's hatred to Yaakov is forever. Shamro Lanetzach. It's, 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 it's forever and ever. I'm, I'm talking about Mashiach, that could be a change, but as it is, it's, it, it stands. It doesn't change. Ah, if it's a halacha, how did he kiss him with all his heart? The answer is just like a halacha has a moment that it could be suspended. This was a magical moment when the hatred, when the hatred from Esau to Yaakov was suspended for a moment and he truly kissed him with all his heart. It was a real emesa kiss. According to Rav Shimon Bayochai. So, what do we have over here? According to both opinions, the dots minimize the kiss. It's less of a kiss, either because it's insincere, or because it is sincere, but it's only at that moment. It was only at that moment. And therefore, it's called a minimized kiss, because usually when you're conveying love, you want there should be truth to that love. This is like a false love, because now it's true, but it's not really true in a minute from now. So therefore, it's, 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 minimizing, it's minimizing the kiss. Now why do we have to then come on to these two interpretations? Why did Reb Shimon Bayachai insist? And why is Rashi insisting and in bringing an interpretation that says that the love was real and at that moment he kissed him with all his heart? The reason is because, because when you read the rest of the Psukim, right afterwards, it seems to imply that Esau was very emotional at that time. What does it say immediately after he hugged him? He cried. And what does it say right after that? He declines Yaakov's gift. He says, my brother, keep what... He's giving him a huge gift. Keep what's yours. And later, as I mentioned earlier, he offers him security. He offers him to go along with him and station some of his people with him. I mean, he's acting with tremendous love to his brother. If, we th- if, if we're going to say that the kiss wasn't real if we say that the kiss was, he didn't kiss him with all his heart, that the, that wouldn't seem consistent with the rest of the psukim that seemed to be scribing Esau in a very, very emotional moment. We're going to have to say that all that emotion was fake. That when he cried, it, wasn't, it was crocodile tears. And, when he, and that doesn't imply, the psukim don't give any hint that Esau was not sincerely brotherly to his brother at this moment. By the way, when Yosef um, um, met his brothers, they cried. And, it, and one of the proofs that Yosef said, you'll see that my heart is, is, is sincere with you, is because he cried. Just see from my tears, from the way we're crying, that I'm, 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 not, I, I'm not being fake, I'm being real. So crying is showing untruth, especially you can tell if one's tears are real. And the person, the psukim seemed to imply it's for that reason that, you, that Rashi could not suffice with the first Pirush. What was his first Pirush? That it was an insincere kiss. Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't flow with the rest of the Pesukim. 
Oh, if so, why doesn't Rashi just go with the second interpretation? Why doesn't Rashi just go with the second interpretation that says that what? That the kiss was, was very real because it seems to fit with the later psukim? The answer is, because if you're going to say that the kiss was a very real kiss, it flies in the face of everything that happened till now. Esau is coming with 400 men to kill him. With full of hatred. Do you understand what I'm saying? We hear the problem like this. If it was a real kiss with all of his heart, and at this moment he's mamish feeling, it's so in contrast to his mood that he had just a, just a little before this. If we're going to... So that's why Rashi prefers the first pirush. That fits better with the earlier psukim that's describing his hate, his hatred. So even when he kissed him, it wasn't such a sincere kiss. However, the problem with that is the next few psukim are describing a very, very, very gullible Esau, an Esau full of emotion, full of feeling, full of, I don't know, gullible was wrong, a very um, mushy Esau. Esau with, 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 with such feelings towards his brother. So therefore the kiss seems to be that it was a very real kiss. So therefore Rashi says, both his pirushim on the kiss are equally valid. Because the problem he has with each pirush is the same. With the pirush, with his first explanation that it was an insincere kiss, the, the next psukim do not flow so well. With the problem to say that the kiss was very real, the earlier psukim that he hated him so much don't flow so well. So either way, you're going to slice it, you're going to be stuck, and you're not stuck, but there's, there's, there's something not that doesn't sit well in the psukim. But... Rashi says, I'm giving you both Purushim, so between both of them, you'll figure it out. So that's why both Purushim are equally valid. Uh, but here we can understand that both Purushim are explaining the concept that the word is being minimized. Is it being minimized? The kiss is for sure minimized. But how is it minimized? We can also now understand why Rashi is not bringing from Ovis to Reb Nassim. Because in Ovis to Reb Nassim, the two opinions are, one, of them, one opinion is that it wasn't a kiss shall MS. And the second opinion it says in Ovis to Reb Nassim is that it was a kiss shall emes. Neshika shall emes. It was a real kiss. If we say it was a real kiss, Rashi is not accepting it was a real kiss, then the word has not been minimized. It wasn't a real kiss. Even, even according to the second interpretation, it wasn't real. Why wasn't it real? Because it was, for the moment, it was a real, it was with his heart, but it's not what a kiss is. A kiss is a deep love between two people that truly love each other, and they didn't really love each other. It was like this magical moment that Esau is acting totally antithetical to his regular nature, that he hates Yaakov, and how much does he hate him? He hates him so much that it's a halacha. Halacha means it's not changeable. I, how did it change? Well, that's what, that, that's what happens in halacha. That sometimes you have a halacha that could be suspended for five minutes. Here you have a halacha that was suspended for five minutes, for ten minutes, for a half an hour. I don't know how long this, this, this whole encounter took. Maybe an hour. But the halacha was suspended. You might still have a problem. Rip Shimon Bayochai is the one who says this. And he seems to be seems to be giving us an interpretation that's so strange. On the one hand, Reb Shimon Bar-Yochai is the one who emphasizes that the hatred of Esau to Yaakov is absolute. It's carved in stone. It's a halacha. The same Reb Shimon Bar-Yochai tells you that at this moment, Nichmeru Rachamov, his mercy just 
boiled over, and he kissed him with all his heart. Now, by the way, I forgot to mention that. That's where I got stuck earlier in the shir for a minute. What I was looking for was I remembered now the way it worked was that first, by bowing to him, he warmed him up. But once he hugged him, in that hug, his heart melted completely. And he kissed him with... It, it brought out with, from him something so intense that he kissed his brother and he really started weeping and crying. But here's the question. It's the very same Rav Shimon and Bar Yochai who says, Esav hates Yaakov. That very same Rav Shimon and Bar Yochai turns around and says, Dawan, but he kissed him with all his heart. Someone might ask, if his hatred is so absolute, it's still hard to imagine that he will act so differently that Yaakov, that Yaakov caused such a change in Esau. Even if we're going to say it's only for the moment, but even that is hard to, to, to understand. That's why Rashi gives us the name of who said it. Who said it? Reb Shimon Bar Yochai said it. What is the emphasis of telling us Reb Shimon Bar Yochai? So it's so beautiful because Rashi will only bring you the name of a sage if knowing who said it is going to answer a subtle question. Not a big question because if it's a big question Rashi has to answer it directly. But if it's a subtle question he can just give you the name and you can figure out the answer. When we take a look at Reb Shimon Bar Yochai we see Reb Shimon Bar Yochai was in the same situation like Grandfather Yaakov. He was persecuted by the descendants of Esau. Who's Esau? Esau who Edom? Who's Edom? Rome. Reb Shimon Bar Yochai felt the full brunt of the, of the uh, cruelty, of the, of, the, of the animosity and hatred that Esau had to the Jewish people. He lived in the worst persecutions. He was in the generation of the ten martyrs. His Rebbe was Rebbe Akiva who was skinned to death by the, by the, by the Romans. Rabbi Shimon Yochai himself had to escape the Romans and hide in a cave for 13 years. Verse for 12 and then another year. So he knows Rome. If there's anybody who can say, Halacha, Esau, Son, and Yaakov, that Esau hates Yaakov, he stared Esau in the eye. He knows exactly Esau's hatred. He almost paid for it for his life. Had they caught him, they would have tortured him to death. Yet the Gemara says an interesting story. Phenomenal story. The Gemara Masechtes Me'ilah. The Talmud says that one time the Romans decreed a decree against circumcision, against Shabbos, and against family purity. Three, de- uh, three, three decrees. And they tried to, and they, and they didn't know why, and the sages needed to. So one of the sages went, and he cut his hair like the Romans did. He gave himself a Roman haircut. One of the, his name was, it doesn't say a sage, his name was Reb, Ruvain, um, what was his name? Ruvain ben Istrublu, Istrubli. It's called Reb, yeah, Reb Ruvain. So he must have been a, a Reb, he must have been a sage at some level. Anyways, he goes to, to Rome. He dressed like one of them, put on one of their robes, and sat in their senate. I don't know how he got past security, but that's what happened. Anyways, he's sitting amongst them, and, when, and, and he brought up this question to them. He said, well, if you have an enemy, do you want him to be rich or poor? So they said, poor. 
So he says, why in the world would you force the Jews to work on Shabbos? If they work on Shabbos, they'll have an extra day to make money. If they don't work on Shabbos, they'll be losing all the weekend, you know, the holiday shopping on the weekend. So they'll be poor. So he said, you're right. So they, they nullified that decree. And then he turned to them and he said, um, when you have an enemy, do you want to be weak or strong? They said, weak. He says, why in the world don't you let them circumcise? They'll circumcise their babies. It weakens them. So they said, you're right. That's idiotic of us. And they nullified that decree. Then he said, if you, if you, um, if you, if you, uh, if you want your, if you, if you hate your enemy, do you want your enemy to be, to be plenty or few? He said, few. We don't want them to increase. So why in the world are you prohibiting family purity, which means that you're decreeing upon them that they shouldn't keep the separation time between man and woman, the time of nida, and so on and so forth. It just causes them to have more children, to be together more of the time. Why would you do that? They said, you're right. And they nullified all three decrees. Then someone over there said, something's wrong. And they figured out that he was a Jew. And when they figured out he was a Jew, they reinstated all three decrees. Fine. So now the sages were, then we were in trouble. It didn't work. The undercover operation didn't work, so they figured they need some other thing. They said, who can go confront the Romans as is? They said, let's send Reb Shimon by Yochai, because he's someone who's a miracle worker. He's Malumid Benisim. He's accustomed to miracles. Let's send him. But you can't just send one guy. That would be too dangerous. Let's send someone along with him. So they said, let's send along Reb Lazar, the son of Reb Yoisi. Okay, they said, Reb Lazar, Reb Yoisi will go together with Reb Shimon. So Rabbi Yossi hears that his son is being sent. So Rabbi Yossi says, excuse me. Yeah. He says, excuse me. If you would ask my, if my father would be alive, Rabbi Chalafta, this is Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta. If my father would be alive, Chalafta, would you ask my father to send me, Yossi, to the, to, to the Romans, when you know that this is absolute suicide? Because you're going into their hands, they're going to, this is like the suicide mission. So Reb Shimon says, so this is what he's basically like, why would I let my son go if my father would never let me go? So Reb Shimon by Yochai then says, well, if you had asked Yochi, my father, if you would let his son Shimon go, would, would, would he be comfortable in saying yeah? So you're not letting your son, but you're okay that I should go? Basically you see from there how dangerous it was. In the end, so Rabbi Yaisi says, Rabbi Yaisi says, I'm not afraid of the Romans. I'm not afraid of them. Then my son will be protected. I'm afraid of Reb Shimon. Because Reb Shimon was very strict. And it was, when you went together with Reb Shimon, you know if you make a mistake, by mistake you step on his toes, he can give you one look and turn you into a, a, pile, of, pile, of, a pile of bones. He was like a no mess with rabbi. Okay? So he said, I'm just afraid of you that my son might make a mistake and you might harm him. So he says, I give you my word. Reb Shimon says, I give you my word. Your son is safe, I'm not going to harm him. Anyways, they went, and on the road, a question was asked to both of them, and his son couldn't control himself, and he made with his mouth quietly, and he answered the question like quietly. And Reb Shimon noticed the way he did it, that basically you're not supposed to answer a question without your Rebbe. And he, so Reb Shimon said, hey, I noticed that you're a scholar, and, and from the way you answered, so I see that you're... you're, you're. Basically, he, 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 took, he took offense at the fact that he answered in front of him when he was, of course, the senior rabbi. 
Because of that, Rabbi Yossi actually came down on the ship with a, not Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Lazar, with a similar, with a serious swelling in his throat called Askara, God forbid. It was a type of swelling in, the, in his throat and he would have died. It was a miracle that, a, that he was laying on the floor and Rabbi Shimon remembered. Then Rabbi Shimon remembered while he was on the floor, literally in his throes of death. Rabbi Shimon remembered, oh, I promised his father that I wouldn't do this to him. A Roman uh, guy went by and because I guess it was a Jew laying on the floor, he just stepped on his throat. And as he stepped on his throat in that crush that he did, he unclogged and unblocked his passageway and he was able to live and he was okay and anyways. But just see that he, his fear that Reb Shimon Bayachai is a tough rabbi came, came true. In any case, as they were approaching Rome, a certain demon appeared to them. And the demon basically said, I'm at your service. I'm here to help you guys. Reb Shimon Bayachai was very upset because he was upset that Hashem sent the demon and not an angel. He said, my grandmother, my grandfather, a maid, a maid of my grandfather, who? Hagar, the maid of Avram Avinu, got to merit to meet six angels. Because when she ran away, it says one angel came to her, and another angel came to her. Six angels. Look how great my grandfather is. And to me, God sends a demon. I can't even get one. But you know what he says? You got to work with what you got. So let's work with what we got. So he told the demon, okay, you can, you can help us out. So the demon went ahead of them. And when he got to the, into the, into Rome, and the demon took possession of the princess, of the Kaiser's daughter. And she suddenly became very sick and crazy and so on. And it was just at that time that the sages arrived. And the whole palace and the whole place was in turmoil because the princess, the beloved princess was dying or she was in this horrible state. So Reb Shimon Bayochai said, let me in. Or he didn't even say let me in. He, went, he, came, or he came in somehow and he called out to the, to the demon by his name. Look in the Gemara, it says the name of the demon. He calls out to the demon by the name and he says, get out, get out. And that's what happened. The demon left. So they just saw that the rabbi, Reb Shimon Bayochai, just saved the life of the princess. So they tell Reb Shimon Bayochai, wow, ask whatever you want. Whatever you want is yours. They took him into the king's, into the, into the, into the private vault, and they said, you can take whatever you want. He basically found in the vault the decree that was stored, and he tore it up, and that was the end. And they left. They didn't take anything else, but that's what they left. By the way, when they were in that vault, Rebbe Lazar, the son of Rebbe Yoisi, saw the paroches. The, the paroches that was taken from the temple when Titus destroyed the temple. And we still know that the Vatican still has it today. So they took, he saw that, that, that thing, and that's why he tells him, he's one of his opinions, he says that when the Kohen Gadol threw the blood, it actually lands, there's an argument to the Gemara, if it lands in front of the, the Gemara says, when did he see it? So he says he saw it at this visit. At this visit he got to see. But what do you see from here? You see that Reb Shimon Bayochai is a person who's, same like Yaakov, he's persecuted by Esav. Esav runs after him. He's persecuted by him. But yet, he manages through miracles to affect Esav that for a moment, Esav treats him like a king. Even though Esav remains an anti-Semite, even though Esau remains the same wicked person full of animosity against his brother Yaakov, 
But he suspended his hatred, and for that moment, he allows him into the inner room and says, pick whatever you want. So Reb Shimon Bayochai can say this, this idea. And what's the idea that Reb Shimon Bayochai is conveying? Esau hates Yaakov with, to, to the very end, but yet at that moment he kissed him with his whole heart. This is the power of the ultimate tzaddik. The power of the ultimate strength of the real, real biggest tzaddikim like Reb Shimon Bayochai, Yaakov Avinu and the like. That they're able to affect something that's dark and affect it in a way not that it, no, it says that Avram Avinu affected Yishmael, that Yishmael did tshuva. But that means that he changed. That means the way he's affecting him is by bringing him closer and elevating him. That is terrific, that's fantastic. But in a certain sense, it's a bigger novelty to be able to affect something that's distant and far and low and dark and, and an enemy to holiness, and it remains an enemy, and while it is bad, while it is in the midst of its corruption, yet it behaves antithetical, completely antithetical to its natural state, and does things assisting Kedusha, assisting holiness. That only super tzaddikim can do. And in a sense, that's a lesson for the Jewish people in the exile. Is that Esau essentially can never be trusted. Esau is Esau. And therefore Esau could not be trusted because halacha, Esau hates Yaakov, you can't trust him. But the rule over here is that when Jews behave like Yaakov Avinu, like what does Yaakov say to Esau? Im lovan garti, I live with lovan. The Tariag Mitzvah Shamarti, I observe the, the 613 mitzvahs. That means I don't get impressed by all the non, by all the, by, by all the, whatever, Narishkeit, or all the impurity in the world. I do what a Jew has to do. In that strength, and in that, we can make Esav, while he is a brute, while he is low, while he still harbors hatred, to act totally antithetical to his nature and to assist the Jewish people. And I think that's part of the messianic process. Esau hasn't, hasn't necessarily changed. I don't know. This, 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 this is a little, little tricky. Because there is some ashmois in some places that Esau does tshuva at the very end of time and he becomes an assistant of holiness. There is that element in the Medrash. Some places it implies that Esau will forever remain in his wickedness. And everybody can do tshuva besides Esau. There's such midrashic. Uh, 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 um, um. But that's for sure without a shadow of a doubt. Whether he does tshuva or whether he doesn't do tshuva, the chidush of Moshiach is that even if he doesn't do tshuva, in his lowness and in his coarseness, and maybe even while he dislikes the Jewish people, he comes and he assists the Jewish people in the ultimate assistance when it comes to the coming of Moshiach. I think we see a lot of that today. I think it's clear we're seeing that. The Rebbe spoke many times about the countries of Esau, referring to the United States. Definitely we're seeing tremendous assistance. But even to, this, to, the, to, the, to, to, to Russia, uh, Putin, 
Does he love Jews? Probably not. He's giving tremendous assistance in many ways to the Jewish people and helping in their Yiddishkeit, helping them in their... It's a chiddush. It's a, it's a magnificent power. It's an unbelievable, probably frustrating element to the Asavs to, to the of the world. They have, they're burning with, with hatred and burning with animosity and yet when it comes to action, they're assisting the Jewish people. It's unbelievable. That's the, that's the Rav Shimon Bayochai's that's Rav Shimon Bayochai's novelty. He hates you, but he kisses you at the moment with all of his, with all of his heart. Incredible. So they were standing at times where either or, either Asa flips over completely and he sincerely, genuinely will help Yaakov build the third temple. Or even if not, he will give the assistance that needs to be given. And that is to help the Jewish cause, help the Jewish people, and help us reach our final destination, which is the Harabayas, the Beis Amigdosh Hashlishi, the Olomoshiyim Ba'artziya in Lishpet Asaresov, as is discussed in this week's of Torah, that uh, the, the, those that will be saved will go up to the, on the mountain of Esav to, to judge Esav, transform Esav, and eventually, and to the Abishter will be the kingdom forever and ever. May it be now.